Good morning, everybody. Nice. I know everybody's still, everybody just left us. And they'll be back in in a minute, and uh, we'll get started. But uh, if you want to join me in a word of prayer before we jump in. Our Father, I thank you for uh, gathering us this morning uh, to, to praise you, to, to lift up the name of Jesus. I pray that uh, you make Jesus known to us this morning, that you glorify yourself in this place, uh, that over the next few minutes as we look into your word, that you speak to each one of us as you want to, that you have us hear what you want us to hear, uh, that your Holy Spirit would be doing the work of, of glorifying Christ uh, in us and through us. And, and I just pray um, that we would be shaped in this time to know your great love and, and to go from this place loving the way that you love. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we all have, uh, we all have our own ideas, I think, of what a church should look like. Some of you may have some ideas about church that, that like you've come up with or that you've kind of gathered from the Bible, maybe some particular scriptures, uh, ideas, maybe things like the Great Commission or the Great Commandment have kind of informed your thinking about what the church ought to look like. There also may be some church experiences that inform uh, what you think the church ought to look like. Like maybe you had a really good worship experience um, that even helped guide your life in some particular way, and you'd really love for like every Sunday to, to kind of look like that. Maybe you've had a great teacher or a great mentor or a great pastor. Maybe you've had a good small group. Maybe you've had a good accountability partner. And you'd love uh, to be a part of the church, of church that offers that same sort of experience. Or, or maybe even you've had a, a bad experience somewhere and that maybe that's more informed what you don't want the church to look like. And some of you may be even new to the church. So maybe you've come uh, with some ideas formed uh, from some other influence. And, and that's okay. My point is just that we all uh, have our own ideas about what the church should look like. And, and our ideas tend to turn into ideals that turn into expectations. So we're, we're each likely evaluating like the success and the progress or, the, or even the validity of a church by comparing it to our own ideas. And, and I do this too. Like I have my own dreams of what I think this church should look like or what I think any church should look like and, and my own ideals like become the standard. We're in the middle of a three-week three uh, sermon series uh, entitled Life Together, which is uh, taken from the name of a book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And the series isn't really a study of that book. Rather, we're, we're spending just a few weeks considering a few different scriptures and, and how they might be directing us and guiding us to be uh, the Christian community here at Redemption Church. Nevertheless, I do want to read you a, a paragraph from Bonhoeffer's book this morning. He wrote this. Just listen to this with me. He said, God hates visionary dreaming. It makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. The man who fashions a visionary ideal of community demands that it be realized by God, by others, and by himself. He enters the community of Christians with his demands, sets up his own law, and judges the brethren and God himself accordingly. He stands adamant, a living reproach to all others in the circle of brethren. He acts as if uh, he is the creator of Christian community, as if his dream binds men together. And then when things don't go his way, he calls the effort a failure, 
When his ideal picture is destroyed, he sees the community going to smash. So he becomes first an accuser of his brethren, then an accuser of God, and finally a despairing accuser of himself. I think those are maybe some rough sounding words to start the morning with, but they've long been an encouraging word to me and that they kind of call me out and they give me some perspective. If you were here, last week we talked about how the church is God's design, which we're going to talk a little bit more about today. But the state, that statement alone, the church is God's design, that lets us in on the fact that if we are measuring the church up next to like our own designs and our own dreams and our own imaginations, if our ideals are the standard, then something's off. So I want to talk a little bit about that this morning, but even more than that, I want to talk about what our measuring, what our comparing, what that kind of insinuates, and it's this, that we have something to achieve. And I guess in that section I just read from Bonhoeffer about visionary dreaming and how it makes us come into the Christian community with our own demands and our own laws and our own rules and our own judgments, what I hear is that we come in looking to achieve something. Like feeling that, that we have to accomplish something together. Like everything depends on it. And so we end up not having time to listen well to one another or, or really to care for one another or to truly befriend people. And instead we come in and we just end up using each other up to accomplish our goals. We cast one another aside and then we wonder why the church doesn't look like it should. But the gospel doesn't call us to achieve something together. And Jesus didn't actually come to meet our expectations. The gospel doesn't call us to achieve something together. And Jesus didn't actually come to meet our expectations. You could turn with me to the first book in the New Testament. It's Matthew. And we're going to be in chapter 16, verses 13 through 25, just for a bit. And if you don't have a, a Bible with you, we're going to have, the, have it on the screen where you can follow along. I'm going to read this for us, Matthew 16, 13 through 25. It says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea of Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. And from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and he said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. Now, in the first part of this passage, Peter confessed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And, and Jesus responds by saying that Peter's right and, and that he's going to build his church upon this. And, and there's some debate 
about what Jesus means here, what he's going to build his church on, I would say he's referring to the truth and the confession that he is the Christ, the Son of God. That's what he's going to build his church on. But what's most pertinent in what Jesus says here for us this morning, just take note, is that Jesus says, I will build my church. I will build my church. Not Peter, not another disciple, not you, not me. Jesus will build his church. In the next portion of the passage, Jesus goes on to foretell his own death and his resurrection. And this doesn't sit well with the disciples, especially with Peter, probably because what they expected from the long-awaited Savior, from the Christ, the Son of God, was a conquering king. If Jesus was about to build his kingdom... What they'd likely imagine to come and uh, to expect is that they were just getting started, right? That there would be religious and political battles to be won over the coming months and years. And eventually Jesus would unite the Hebrew people and either take power from Rome or win freedom for his people from Rome. Who knows what all that they dreamed for the future. But whatever the case, the death of Jesus, the conquering king, makes zero sense in Peter's understanding. When Jesus predicts his own death, it's almost like Peter doesn't even hear the part about being raised three days later because Peter just steps in and he rebukes Jesus. Far be it from you, Lord, this, shall, this thing shall never happen to you. And in this like dramatic twist, just in these couple of paragraphs, after Jesus just said the thing about Peter's confession and giving him the keys of the kingdom of heaven, Jesus turns back to Peter and calls him Satan says, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you're not setting your mind on things of God, but on the things of man. Do we know what's going on here? While, while Peter's right that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the, the long-expected Savior, Jesus is revealing that whatever Peter and, and the others uh, had imagined that that saving might look like, whatever they had dreamed up and come to expect, it isn't actually in line with what it will really take for Jesus to really save. Their mind isn't set on, on God and on things that are higher than man. Peter's imagination and Peter's design and Peter's uh, expectations, they're not big enough. It doesn't go far enough. Like Peter would love to see his own expectations achieved, Right? His own dreams come to fruition. And, it, and it's not all bad stuff that he wants or that the other disciples want. But Jesus knows from the eternal perspective that man's dreams are far too small and far too dissatisfying. And Jesus is working in and from God's grand design. Jesus is building his church. And nothing and no one will get in the way of that. Even a good friend with good intentions. And I go through all of that because we tend to pull a Peter, don't we? We each like come to church with our own ideas, with our own wish, wish dreams, as Bonhoeffer calls them, and, and therefore our own expectations. We each have like our own picture of what success looks like in the church. And success for us is like measured against whether or not our designs are being realized. And it may all be well-intentioned, but... There's something important that I really want us to hear this morning, and that's this, that the good news of Jesus Christ is not a call to achieve something for God. It's news that in Christ, everything is achieved already. 
The victory over sin and death, that's, that's already achieved. We don't have to do something to get that. We don't have to achieve something for that. Death cannot defeat Jesus. He beat it. He rose again, and his promise is life everlasting for those who follow him. Building the church, healing divisions amongst people, becoming one, that's achieved already in Christ. We have become one family together, even with those who would be our former enemies. See, the church is not something that we have to build and that we have to get right for God. The church is something that's already built and that we're invited into. You know, recently I built a a tree house in our backyard for our kids. If you follow me on Instagram, uh, you've probably seen a whole bunch of pictures of it. It's, it's no Swiss Family Robinson type treehouse, which is the dream, but it's, it's pretty nice. And I designed it. I made the plans for it. I, I got all the supplies, and I took them all to my backyard, and I built the treehouse. And, of course, I let the kids help, right? They, they carried the, the end of some boards as I carried them all to the backyard. They worked the drill. They, they screwed in a whole bunch of the screws with my hand on the handle while they pulled the trigger, right? And a couple of them even pulled the trigger on the nail gun with me. Uh, One of them was pretty scared to do that. But honestly, they didn't build the treehouse. I did. And they may think that they really had a hand in building it, but but completing the treehouse, like, didn't rest on their shoulders. Whether they lifted a finger to build it or not, they would still have it today because in reality, I built that treehouse for them. And I built it for them to play in and for them to take care of it and for them to enjoy And doing those things is their part, right? Their part is playing in it and taking care of it and enjoying it. And I wonder, like, what if our purpose isn't to build the church? What if our dreams and our expectations and our need to achieve are all missing the point and the purpose of church? What if our purpose is to be kids, right? What if our purpose is to be kids of the great architect and the great builder who spared no expense in building his church and who is making all things new? What if we're supposed to enjoy the process together with him, our Father? What if we're supposed to just be wowed by what he does? What if we're supposed to live and play together like loving brothers and sisters rather than achieve something? I believe that's exactly the case. And when we get swept away by our own dreams and expectations, swept away by the things of man rather than the things of God, we're missing the boat and we start acting more like an adversary or a hindrance. We must hear this. We aren't called to achieve something together. We are called to live in the reality of what Christ has already achieved on our behalf. And whatever else we we may have in mind, whatever we may have designed, like it pales in comparison to God's design. His design and his purpose for us in his design is far better than we can imagine. Let's look back at Matthew 16 and let's just jump down to the next section, uh, specifically verses 24 and 25 of, of chapter 16. This is what Jesus goes on to say after calling Peter out and calling him Satan and a hindrance. It says, then Jesus, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, I don't know for sure how you take these words of Jesus. 
But I think we often hear the words like deny yourself and take up your cross. And we just figure that Jesus had to deal with some really rough stuff like the cross. So maybe we're going to have to bear up under some hardships as well. But, but this invitation that Jesus is giving is not a call just to bear up hardships like, like doing so will earn us something. It's more of a call to continually die to ourself and to live to Christ. To increasingly submit all of our life to him. And in both, I think the context of this passage and of what we're talking about this morning, it means to lay down our wish dreams in exchange for submitting to God's grand design and purpose. I often go back to Philippians 2, 1 through 11, because it gives us a concrete picture of what it looks like to submit and live within the reality that Christ has achieved for us. Listen to this, Philippians 2, 1 through 11. It says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not, account, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The good news that Paul writes of here says everything is already achieved in Christ. Everything's already achieved in Christ. He already emptied himself and already was born in the likeness of men. He already humbled himself and died on the cross, and he already rose again. He already has been exalted so that every knee shall bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And therefore, when Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ, that's an invitation into reality that we can presently live in. It's not a command to build something or to achieve something. And what is this mindset? What does it look like in concrete terms for us to submit and live within the reality that Christ has already achieved? As children of God, what part do we play? Well, we don't come like seeking to achieve or seeking to build something, just, just using one another up in order to meet our own ends. So we're not going to come into the community of Christians and the church with our list of demands we won't come adamant that things must be done our way. We won't act as if our dreams and our ideas are what bind us together. Rather, Paul says that when we live in the reality that Christ has achieved on our behalf, we are considering others' interests before our own. And for that to be true, we have to be less concerned about achieving and building and timelines and deadlines and more concerned with loving each other well and caring for others as Jesus cared for us. This is God's design, and it's already ours to participate in presently. Over these few weeks, we're, we're asking you to participate in what we're doing as a church together. 
We want you to join us regularly on, on Sundays for worship. We want you to participate and serve one another here in this place. We want you to uh, serve with us when we have opportunities to serve our, our community. We want you to give here. And the big thing that we're asking, especially over this month, uh, is for you to get connected and plugged into a missional community. And for those who don't know what a missional community is, it's just a group of people who are aiming to live like a family, to serve one another in their community like Jesus, who are seeking to be on mission together in the everyday stuff of life. And as a church who's striving to know and to make known the real Jesus, which you'll hear us talk about a lot around here, missional communities are the primary means through which we're equipping and mobilizing people to do that. So we have several options, uh, and you're free to go check any of them out over the coming weeks and just see if you might fit one of those best. There's a schedule I put on the back. A few, I put a handful of them back there. You can grab a schedule, see what dates are coming up, where they gather, contact. All that stuff is back there. If you're new here, uh, I'd love to meet with you. You can just meet right over here in this corner after, after the service just to say hi and give you some information on how you might connect best to Redemption Church. Consider all of that an ask, right? I'm asking you to connect. I'm asking you to participate with us. But this morning, though I am asking you to plug in to our thing at Redemption Church, I'm also asking you that you lay your ideals aside, that we all just lay our wish dreams down and consider that we're not just trying to build something or achieve something here for Jesus. So, this ask is less an invitation to our thing that we've made and more an invitation to come and just practice living together inside the reality that has already been achieved for us in Christ. Missional communities are not the point. They're just a space that we've set aside to come and to practice doing this together. We're not eager to build a big church with lots of groups and growth Though we want to invite everybody into the family of God and we'll praise God as he grows us to whatever size. But, but we're eager to see how his way will shape us into Christ's likeness and how Jesus will make himself known to us and known through us as we participate in what he's already achieved. So my invitation this morning, again, is, is to practice having this mind amongst us which is ours now in Christ Jesus. Let's practice putting the interest of others before our own. Let's practice striving side by side together for the faith of the gospel. After Bonhoeffer's uh, searing words about visionary dreaming and how it works against Christian community, he went on to say this. He says, When the morning mist of dreams vanish, then dawns the bright day of Christian fellowship. Then dawns the bright day of Christian fellowship. I guarantee that the church of our dreams and our ideals and our expectations pales in comparison to the bigger and better eternal reality that Jesus Christ has already achieved and has invited us into. So may we come together uh, to be more like Jesus by laying down our little wishes and exchange for his grand design. And may we walk out from the mist of our dreams and into the dawn of the bright day of Christian fellowship at Redemption Church. We're going to move into a time of response as we do each week, and we'll, we'll practice a few things together. The band will come, and they'll continue to lead us in worship as we praise through song. Um, 
We're also going to come and we're going to take communion. And as you come to take communion, there's a giving basket in the back where you can give your tithes and offerings. Um, we say this every week. We're, we know a lot of people don't even give that way. Uh, so if you give another way, consider this an invitation to keep doing that. What we do want to do is encourage you to take a moment as we respond and remember that God is our provider. And if that gift you're giving is slipping out of your account and you just forget about it, take a moment now to like purposefully worship back and acknowledge that gift back to him as your praise and worship for who he is and what he does. As we come to take communion as a family, we come and we take the bread and we're going to dip it in the wine or the, the wine or the juice. Of course, the bread represents the body of Christ that was given for us. And the wine and the juice represents the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. And when we come and do this, we are remembering that Jesus is who he says he is. We're making that confession along with, with Peter, right? That he is the Christ, the Son of God. And that he has come and he has saved us. That he died and that he rose again. That everything he said he would do, he has done. That he's achieved it all on our behalf, and he's invited us into the family of God. And so we come and we remember that together, and we are proclaiming it together in our action. We're reminding each other in our proclamation. So if you're a Christian, if that's your confession, then we invite you to come and take and remember and proclaim Jesus with us, whether you're a member at Redemption Church or not. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to move into this time together. Our Father, I'm thankful this morning for Jesus Christ who has achieved everything on our behalf, who has already won the victory over sin and death, who has already united us as a family, who has brought us back into your grand design. And Lord, I pray that you lead us to remember that. Though we are forgetful people, let us remember that we're not, we're not here to build a thing that will finish the mission or that will, um, you know, that'll get us to some level where you'll be happy or where we'll, be, we'll get to the end or that we'll achieve something for you and we'll earn something. That's not what we're, we're not earning anything. We're not, we don't have to achieve something. You've achieved it all on our behalf. Let us be your kids. Remind us that we are your kids. And that you love us deeply. And that our purpose is to, to be part of your family, to be brothers and sisters uh, with Christ and to let the, who you are and what you're like just flow right through us. And, and, and God, we pray and that you just make the real Jesus known through Redemption Church. I pray that just over these next few minutes, over this morning, that you continue to remind us of all this that you continue to shape us to be more and more like you. In Jesus' name, amen.